0: Well, this morning we are actually going to be looking at several verses, and I don't know if you're a tracker, you love to follow along in your Bible, we are going to start in Matthew 17 and move through several different passages. Before we begin, let's, uh, let's seek the Lord for his blessing. Father, we are so incredibly dependent on you for everything. We are weak you are strong. We are unwise, but you are wise. We are frail, but you are mighty. We are finite, but you are infinite. And, O Lord, this morning, would you consider us and be merciful to us and minister your word to us. Father, I do ask that you would work in our hearts this morning cultivating faith, that we would become people who trust you in the midst of the worst storms. We're so thankful for everything you do for us, all that you are to us, and I just ask this morning that you would work mightily in us. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Do you realize that we are the most blessed people on this planet? And we are incredibly blessed because we understand and believe what we have in Jesus, both now and eternity. We don't fully comprehend, but we do in part. And when we do understand and believe who we, who we have, in, what we have in Christ, all that is ours in Christ, what God has done for us, when we gr- grasp that, when we understand that, and that gets into our bones, our lives are filled with love, joy, peace, unspeakable. If you've met the Lord, you know the Lord, and you've communed with the Lord, and you've known his love, you've known his peace, you've known his joy. There is nothing on this planet like it. Nothing. You would actually be uh, uh, the kind of person who looks at everything offered in this world compared to Christ, and you would see it as a trash heap in comparison. But that's part of our problem. We continually fail to see this and understand this. And so it is the degree to which we understand this and believe this is the degree to which we become actually people who are alive. It's the degree to which we become actually a church that ends up going on mission. I don't know where you're at this morning as you sit here. And if you say, where, where's the state of your heart right now? Are you dead and cold? Indifferent towards the things of God? Or say that's kind of on one hand. On the other hand, no, you say, man, I am alive to what God is doing in my life i 'm alive to all that he 's done for me in christ i 'm alive to to who he is and I, and I commune with him and and we'll, in our christian journey often we 're somewhere in here and we find ourselves sometimes fully alive and, and sometimes it seems like we 're almost dead we 're having troubles finding a pulse and I, my prayer is that this morning that we would really come to see and to know the living God in a way that awakens us. Because the only way we'll ever move and go on mission and get going on mission is when our heart is awakened to God and the things of God. And and we see and know His love and how much He's loved us and what He does for us. We become overwhelmed by that and our hearts are filled with love. You can't help but love. You want to love, and so as we've seen this morning, it's it's I mean, no, we haven't seen what we've seen in the sermon, the series so far, is we've been looking at this whole idea of becoming a church on mission. And at the very beginning, what were we doing? We we're trying to establish the foundation of this. You know, there's no way you're going to go on mission unless you understand what the mission is, and you unless you understand what needs to get dealt with first, unless you know what drives it all. What's at the heart of the mission? We did all that at the front end, and then we looked at the actual mission of Jesus. And from there, we gained the wisdom of knowing what it looks like to be on mission. Because you could be the kind of person who says, man, I I want to be on mission. It's like sometimes I'm confused. I don't even know what to do. And then you look at the life of Jesus, and you gain this tremendous wisdom. Because when we looked at that, what did we see? We saw that when Jesus, the first thing he goes out and does is what? He goes and he ministers to the needs of those around him. You've heard me say this, and this is something we really have to understand. Like, if you want to know how it is that you get on mission, you go and begin to minister to the needs of people around you. God has placed you around people. Look for ways to minister to them. And as we minister to them, we, we one of the things we talked about is observing their response, right? God is at work. Where is God is at work? Where is God at work? And when we see God at work, we pursue when we see God's not at work, we back away and go somewhere else. We follow the Lord and we look for where God's at work. And then also, we talked about in the the difference between conversation and proclamation. And how in many of your worlds what you're going to do is you're going to be getting into conversations. And that means chill out, let them go wherever and have fun in the conversation. But we also saw the necessity of proclamation and how people need to hear the gospel proclaimed. So we need to have events and places where this is done and we can we can bring these people who who are identifying as maybe perhaps God is at work in their life so that they can hear the gospel proclaimed and so that's the that's the front end of Jesus's ministry where he goes out and he there's the people he goes out amongst them he ministers to their needs he has conversations with them he proclaims the gospel to them and he observes where God's at work and that's very important, very fundamental, and any church that's going to get on mission, it's got to understand this and realize that, you know what, each one of us is connected to a myriad of unbelievers, and God has purposely done this, and God is at work, and so we need to know how it is we wisely go minister to them. But then we, as we looked at last week, what do we do when somebody responds to Jesus and that's the other thing. Part of this making disciples isn't just converting them and moving on. Jesus was looking actually to see where God is at work, who responded to him. And then what he did is he began to disciple them. Discipleship, discipleship sorry, is a fundamental element of the whole process. And so when people are responding, what do we do? Well, we disciple them. Well, the question is, well, how do we disciple them? And we looked at, we, I mentioned the four components last week got. They, they need a model. They need to follow someone, like Jesus' disciples did. He says, follow me. They need someone to follow. They need to observe your life. Following and, and having a model is fundamental. But in addition to that, there are three other components. right? What do we teach them? Well, they need to be taught who God is, who they are, and how this world works. And so... If you want to disciple someone, even think of this parents for your children. If your children, if you're going to disciple them, they need to know who God is, who they are, and how this world works. And last week we looked at uh, the whole aspect of modeling and who God is. And then this week we're going to look at um, who who we are, as Jesus points out, who the disciples are, and what's their issue that he's always dealing with with them, and then how this world works. And those two things are actually, as you will see, are very connected. So to begin with this morning, uh, we're going to look at how Jesus taught his disciples the truth about themselves. What was it that he was always after about them? What was the issue in them? And here's it, here it is. You ready? What's the fundamental issue in you and in me that Jesus is always after and needs to get hit often? You ready? Unbelief. The other side of it is faith. Now, we're going to look at several passages, and you'll find that Jesus addresses nothing more than he addresses this issue with them. If he ever points at them and says, here's the problem, this is what it is. It begins, we begin in Matthew 17. And here, the disciples, they couldn't cast out the, the demon of the paralytic. And then the father brought his son to Jesus, and Jesus said this to, uh, in response to what happened there. In verse 17, o faithless, you hear that? O faithless, faithless and twisted generation. How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why couldn't, why could we not cast it out? He said to them, Surprise, surprise, because of your little faith, basically non existent faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like the, a, a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. What's Jesus pointing out? What's the fundamental problem? This faithlessness. The fact that you, you have no faith. In Matthew 14, where Peter, we has read this morning, and, and Mike gave the call from this morning, where Peter walks on the water towards Jesus and then begins to look at the waves and the wind, and he becomes afraid, and he began to sink. And he cried out to Jesus to save him. And what does the text read? What does it say in verse 31? I love how Jesus, Jesus doesn't hes- hesitate. He immediately I love that word, he immediately He cries out for Jesus to save him. That's our Savior. He cries out to him, He knows he's in trouble. I'm sure Peter can't swim. probably fishermen who can't swim. He cries out, and, and, and immediately Jesus reaches out his hand, took hold of him, saying, "What does he say to him? "Oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt?" Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? You were doing so well. And when you believed and when you looked to me and your faith was there, you're walking on the water. This is always the problem. Little faith. Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? This is your problem. This is my problem. Why do you doubt God Jesus is constantly hitting this. Come on, come on, do not doubt him. Trust him, trust him. Your problem is if he's rebuking them, it's your little faith. In in Mark 4, where the disciples crossed the Sea of Galilee with Jesus and he fell asleep in the boat and a massive storm came up and the disciples were afraid for their lives. They're freaking out because they know that they they understand storms on the Sea of Galilee. They're fishermen on the Sea of Galilee. And when they're freaking out, You know it's bad. They think they're they're perishing. They're done for. And what's Jesus doing? He's asleep. Asleep in the bow of the boat. But when Jesus arose, he gets up, he looks around, and he says to the storm, Peace, be still. And it was perfectly calm. And then he said to them in verse 40, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Have you still no faith? Have you still not seen? Have you still not seen who I am and what I do? And then there's Matthew twenty-one, twenty-one, where Jesus says the following to his disciples who are blown away by the fact that he cursed the fig tree. Remember that story? Curses the fig tree. The fig tree. Can't talk this morning. And they go away, comes back, and the disciples are blown away. This cursed tree is withered up and dead. And the disciples are like, Jesus, that's that's a tree that you cursed when we walked by here last time. And Jesus says to them in verse 21, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even you'll say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. Once again, Jesus is addressing the issue of their faith. And then there's Matthew sixteen eight where Jesus tests his disciples and tells them, this is when they have the multitude there, and they're all getting hungry, and it's they don't have time to go get food, and Jesus recognizes an opportunity, and so he says to his disciples, feed them. Feed right. them. They're looking at each other, how much bread did you bring? Yeah. Is he crazy? There's 5,000 people here. And, uh, you know, we don't have enough supplies. And Jesus, the text says in verse 8, that he's aware of what they're doing, it says. But Jesus, aware of this, said, probably with a sigh, Oh, you of little faith. So he says, Oh, you of little faith. Why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Well, I'll answer that. Uh, Because you typically need bread to feed people. Right? Because their minds are still on the fact that they live according to what they can see. They live according to what they can touch. They live according to, like, the, the data, the facts, I don't know if you understand or not, but we have no bread. A couple loaves, and as far as I understand, from my every time I was, since I was a little kid, if I was hungry, you eat bread, and you need bread to eat. And if you don't have it, you don't eat. That's the world I live in, right? That's all I'm saying. It's just, that's, it's the reality. Jesus is constantly going, bam, 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 bam. Have you not been around? Have you not seen? Do you not understand? What have I been doing? I've been doing this kind of thing. Sure, I haven't dealt with bread and fish before, but I've raised up the dead. I've given blind sight. I've given deaf ears to hear. I don't know if you've noticed, I've calmed the storm, remember? And so, obviously they don't. They're just like us, dense and thick, slow to learn, slow to trust God. This is with this perennial issue with Jesus' disciples that he addresses. And it wasn't, it wasn't that they didn't have enough theology He wasn't saying, man, you guys just need... Could you guys go study your books more and learn more about God? And it wasn't even that they didn't have enough Bible or the Word. These guys were taught in the synagogue since little children. They, they, They knew their catechisms. They understood. Jesus rebukes them constantly for their lack of faith. The central and perennial problem with all of us is that we're weak in faith we usually know far more than we actually believe. And yet, we have to understand that faith in God is essential if we're to please him. It's essential if we're to see God work in us and through us. Every disciple needs to know fundamentally that all things are possible to them that believe. All things are possible to them that believe. But to them that don't believe, all things, a lot of things seem, what? Impossible. Have you been faced with impossible? Have you been, even maybe not impossible, but really not that possible? And it's always, always a confrontation with your faith. What do you believe? What do you believe about God and what do you believe about this world? That's what happens. We're confronted by it. And it doesn't matter how much theology you have. It doesn't matter how many devotions you've done. It doesn't matter how well you know your Bible. Knowing is not the same as believing. Believing and trusting God. If you've walked with Him for a while, you'll know that it's not that easy. Right? Yet, it's the only thing that pleases God. The only thing that delights in Him. From the very beginning, we see this. And in Genesis 15, 6, it says that Abraham believed God. He believed God, and it was accredited to him as righteousness. This is because every single thing you need for life and for godliness, God has designed the world so that you and I, I think we should probably know this by now, we're kind of weak. We're dependent creatures. What we we tend to do is we, we tend to get scared quite easily. We can what if ourselves to death, right? And we can imagine scenarios that are terrifying. And there's so many elements in this world. Like, ooh, that's scary. Ooh, that's scary. You imagine this. Imagine this. Imagine, you know, it, it doesn't matter if it's financial or health issues, or it has to be with circumstantial issues or things that could happen in your world. We could draw up lists of things that are scary, right? Like, could could you finish the sentence? Could you imagine if? Oh yeah, you could, and you probably do. And this is how we live our lives, imagining and thinking about things that could happen, and truly they could happen. But that'll do nothing for your faith, but destroy it, because it's 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 that's that problem again that we're always faced with this this lack of faith, believing God. It's an issue. It's a fundamental issue because we're trying to break out of the fact that, this, sure, this world, you see it a certain way, but God is above it and beyond it, and He's with you, and He's trying to convince you that if you would just trust Him, if you would just look to Him, He'll provide for you. Get out of the boat, get on the water, man. But water, you don't walk on water, you swim in water, if anything. Or you drown in water. Right? I don't know you, but when I go to the lake in the summer, I don't see many people walking on it. I see, if anything, they're swimming in it. Some are struggling. Hey, some drowned in it. So that's what I know about water. My whole life, that's what I've been told about water. That's the message I get. And then God has the audacity to say, walk on it? Pardon? <laughs> yeah. Because, newsflash, it's like Jesus trying to say, I, I want you to understand something. I am Lord, which means I'm of, above it all. I determine it all. The only reason why you swim in water is because I told water to do that. The only reason you don't walk on it like concrete is because I haven't told it to do that. But if I did, you would. Simple. Simple. Everything is what it is God's trying to say to us because I tell it to be that way. And at any given moment, no matter when, like a flash, I can change its dynamics. I can speak. In Jesus' case, he didn't even speak. He, Paul, uh, Peter believes Jesus. He gets on the water, and for some reason, it holds him up. It's because so Jesus, Peter's acting in faith, and God is working in Munska's faith, and he changes. The, he's got to do something. Because it's not what it used to be. And so God made it contingent upon Peter's faith. You believe and trust me, it turns like concrete. You don't believe and trust me, back to water again. Concrete, water. Concrete, water. And I'm going to make it contingent on whether you believe or not. Because it's no big deal. I don't know if you've realized or not, but this universe, this world we live in is is incredibly complex. The wisdom and profundity of it all is mind-blowing. God says, well, yeah, it is. It's a demonstration, a presentation of my wisdom and my glory and my goodness. But it's all subject to me. Every single bit of it. You know what is even subject to me? Flames. How about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? When it comes to those guys, they trusted the Lord, right? They, they fear God more than they feared the flames. They don't know what God's going to do. That's kind of a terrifying moment. You're not sure if God's going to allow those flames to burn you or what. They've never, they've never had no precedent before that to understand what's going to happen. But typically, this is what precedent they did have. Every time they touched fire since they were a little kid, what happened? Ow! It burned them. So what's? they were taught their whole lives, flames burn, no exception. Haven't found one yet. And ever since I was a little wee child, I was taught that flames burn. Now, if someone says they're going to throw me into the flames, I'm good with math. I burn. They didn't know. They said, if the Lord delivers us, blessed be his name, but we don't know. We're just trusting him because we fear him more than we fear flames. Flames are temporal. He's eternal. What did they discover? That's weird. Flames didn't burn. Wait a second. This isn't working out. This is... Here we are chilling in the midst of flames. Here we are. And there was one other person in there. Jesus. Who's Lord of it all? And this is this this is just boom boom blows our minds because it's like wait a second this is so what's so hard about faith is that so many times God calls us and it's contrary to what we've known since the time we're little children, and so we freak out we get upset we we're, we're bewildered we're dumbfounded we don't know what to do we panic and we and we worry we're just like the disciples aren't we? Because, you know, we face flames sometimes, not literal flames, metaphorical flames. But we don't like it. We're scared because we know what happens. Have you ever went through a financial crisis? If you lived long enough, you probably have faced one or two. Are they fun? Easy? And what's the thing that gets exposed to you? I'll tell you what gets exposed to you. Oh, you of little faith. That's, what, that's all of us. That's, that's the issue. And I guarantee you, you got concerned and worried and freaked out even though you know the Bible verse that my God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. That all things are His. He's created all things. They're all he's, It's like even though you, your heavenly Father is the wealthiest, richest being in existence, You couldn't add up his value. He can create gold. And he's your father and he cares for you. I know, Dean. I know, I know. I know that I know the Bible verse. The Lord will provide. I know, I know. Stop telling preaching at me. Because what does that do? It, when we get into a crisis, it confronts us. Bam! And, we, and we're exposed. And you realize, oh, you know what? I'm, I'm not a person of too much faith. I'm a person who really likes to put my trust and confidence in things that I can see and touch and, and somewhat think, at least believe in my own mind that I have control over has God exposed this in you? Oh, yes, I'm sure He has. He's exposed it in all of us. That we have a fundamental problem, and anybody who ever comes to Christ is going to have a fundamental problem because they've got to spend the rest of their lives getting reoriented to the world. That it doesn't, it's not functioning like you think. And the fundamental issue you need to address is your faith. Oh, you have little faith, you doubt God, and here's your problem you doubt Him. But you need to, what are you going to do? You have to walk forward in faith. If you're going to live and walk by faith, do you realize that you have to get out of the boat and step on water? Again, using it metaphorically, right? Because in so many cases in your life, what you're going to find yourself is you're looking at a situation, you're doing the math, and it doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. Let's just say, again, for example, that you are, uh, you're like Daniel in the lion's den. Well, I use these stories. We all know about them. You, okay, if you're getting thrown into a lion's den, um, how do you do the math? By the way, they're starving hungry lions. The last time I checked, um, starving hungry lions devour any piece of meat that's thrown their way. Are you nervous? Are you afraid? How's your faith doing? (whistles) Ouch. Um, This is terrifying. Terrifying. Because now you're thrown in a situation Where every single piece of data is going to shouting in your face that you're dead. Not only am I dead, this has got to be one of the worst ways I could ever imagine dying. Being ripped apart and eaten by lions. That's a shouting at you. Ah! Yet God has said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I am with you. And he and, and by the way, I'm. I control lions; their nature. I can turn like with a whisper. I can turn them into mice. They are what they are because I created them. I told them to be that way. But they could be the exact opposite if I tell them that. And so, if the moment, the the truth about God is, is kind of starts to shrivel and shrink, and the circumstances overwhelm us, we have no faith. But God has got, and this is what Jesus was trying to say to the disciples, have you not been with me long enough? Have you not seen? Have you not observed? Have you not been following? Because everything, if you've watched and observed, you'll know that I'm in control of all things, and yet you're still, you're still freaking out and wondering. Well, as George Mueller said, faith does not operate in the realm of the possible There's no glory for God in that which is humanly possible. Faith begins where man's power ends. And I think it's one of the main reasons why we don't see God showing up big time in our lives. We hate to live by faith. We love to live by sight. Would you agree? I would say most people in the church would give a hearty amen for that. But they would never want to admit it. Because as long as everything's going very well in my life, my bank account's fat and good, my job's secure, and everything's, my car's running properly, and my house doesn't have any leaks, and everything in my world, and my kids are kind of obeying, I love this. (laughs) Oh, God must be with me. God is blessing me. This is the, this is the way life should be, right? Well, that isn't a life lived by faith. (laughs) That's a life lived by confidence and trust and security in the things that you can see, not in the things you can't see. So this is essential. If we are to grow up as disciples, one of the things we have to do is grow in our faith. And if you're discipling somebody, one of the things you have to do is bust them out of the world they live in so that they can see and understand know who God is and what he's promised and what this means in day-to-day life and learn to walk and to trust in him but there's something else they need to know. And this is very connected to this idea of faith, is how the world works. And I've already seen part of this already. This is why when Jesus was... A lot of his instruction, what you'll notice, is he wants them to realize that the world isn't the way that you see it often. It's not the way you think of it. For example, you know as we've already looked at, you shouldn't be able to walk on water, but Jesus and Peter did. You shouldn't be able to speak to a storm and it listened to you, but Jesus did. You shouldn't be able to speak to paralytics and they rise up and walk, but Jesus and the disciples did. You shouldn't be able to curse a fig tree and it wither and die, but Jesus did. You shouldn't be able to give thanks for a couple of fish and some bread and then feed thousands, but Jesus did. Jesus was constantly showing them that the world isn't as you, as you think it is when you know who's controlling all things. Jesus wanted his disciples to know that the philosophy of this world is messed up and how the people of this world believe that the world works is messed up. That's why in Matthew chapter 5, when he begins the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about who's blessed and he starts messing with their heads. He says things like this, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are they when when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Huh? These are the blessed people? Wait a second. According to my calculations, most of my life, these were all the cursed people. You see people busted and broken and humbled and persecuted and mourning. That doesn't, that, those aren't the people that I would say, oh, you're so blessed. Oh, that doesn't make any sense at all. I got, you can guarantee, according to the world, that philosophy is, is royally messed up. Royally messed up. But Jesus says things that even go beyond that. He said that in his kingdom the first will be last, the last first. What? Matthew twenty sixteen. He said that whoever wanted to be great would have to be a servant. Matthew twenty twenty six. What? He said he who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it Matthew ten twenty nine. Jesus also said, that, also said that unless you become like a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Matthew eighteen two through 4 And if that wasn't enough, the apostles tell us, the apostles who follow Jesus and were taught by Jesus, tell us to rejoice in our sufferings. What? 1 Peter 4, 12-13 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though it were a strange thing happening to you. But to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. Wow, okay. James 1, 2 through 4 puts it this way. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. What he means there is when you test faith, it produces strength of faith, steadfastness, so that you can hold on and believe in the midst of anything. And he says, and let that steadfastness have its full effect, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. All the stuff, all that Jesus is trying to teach them is that the world that God has made is not the world that you often have been taught about and interpret. Because it is the way it is because God told it to be that way. And God's not bound by it. This world doesn't... What God loves and what he's pleased in and what he's looking for, it, he delights in, what is it? As we just finished talking about, faith. And when he sees faith, God loves to respond to faith because what faith does, it believes in the face of situations that are absolutely impossible. Because faith has to believe that God is Lord over all things, and this world only works the way it does is because God is upholding it all and speaking by his word the way it is, and everything can be turned on its head simply by God saying so. Jesus wants us to see the world as it truly is, not as we're constantly informed that it is by the world. Just think of how the the world values, what the world esteems, what it praises and lives for. It's not what God values, esteems, praises, and wants us to live for. The world says live for yourself. God says die to yourself. The world says look out for number one, look out for you. God says look out for everyone else. The world says money, fame, and power is where it's all at. God says generosity, humility, and service is where it's all at. The world is always striving and never fulfilled. With God, you stop striving and find yourself fulfilled. Not only that, but the world doesn't realize that God takes evil and he turns it into good. He takes injustice and makes perfect justice. He takes wickedness and uses it to advance righteousness. The world would love to have you believe that all things are going from bad to worse. Have you watched the news lately? And unless we do something, we're going to destroy ourselves. And if they can get some fear in you, they've got you. Because fear controls people. And the thing you fear is the thing that will control you. Yet what this arrogant, unbelieving world fails to realize is that this is God's world. Not ours. God sovereignly governs and reigns over it all, and he will take the wickedness, the evil, and yes, even CO2 gases, and he will use them for his good. (laughs) Newsflash. He will use them to show the nations his perfect justice in the end. Because unlike a man, God is the maker of the rules, and he isn't subject to them. As Doug Wilson likes to say, and I think it's a great line, God draws straight with crooked lines. Because he can. And because of this, God will make all things right in the final judgment. So the righteous who suffered under wickedness will see the wickedness judged, but they will also be rewarded beyond what they can think or imagine. As 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look, listen to this, as we look, no, not to the things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. That's trying to bust your head and mind out of the world and think that somehow I'm constrained or God is constrained to the pattern and ways of the world that he's created. If we do this, then this will happen. This always happens. So freak out because this is the way it is. If you don't have money, you can't buy groceries. I don't know if you've ever went to the store before with no money. They won't give you anything. Hello? Don't worry, God will provide. Are you retarded? God will provide. Well, if he's going to provide, he would have provided some money. Why? Maybe he has another way he wants to provide. Maybe just go home and and wait on the Lord and you never know. You might hear, ding dong. Who's this? A neighbor shows up with a bag of groceries. I don't know why. I was just compelled. I feel like I just want to give this to you guys. You know, these kind of, you know what those kind of stories happen to? People who walk by faith. Because God, you are going to find yourself in many trials, troubles, and afflictions, all for the testing of your faith. and, and, And often what happens is they expose you. You get exposed to what you really believe. And that's the thing about being tested. When you're tested, have you ever gone to a test before? You get tested, and what the test does is it takes your cockiness, what you think you have or what you think you know, and often shows you that you don't. Have you ever gone to a test and not really been very prepared but felt really good about it? And even felt good after you're done? And then you get your grade back and it reveals that it wasn't so good. (laughs) I was a little, I don't know, presumptive maybe? This is what happens when God tests us and shows us that we are get so trapped to how we think this world works and when he shows us, exposes us, we realize that, hey, we're in trouble. You know no matter how bad and ugly things get, you have to realize that God isn't blessing you when things are good and rosy and cursing you when things are are bad and ugly. That's the wrong paradigm. Because if that was the case, then some of the most cursed people on the planet were Jesus and the Apostle Paul. Jesus Never married, had no kids, no home, no great career, no earthly possessions, tons of enemies, betrayed, denied, falsely accused, did nothing but love. However, he was beaten, mocked, and crucified with criminals. Is that a man that you would say, in whom God delights? Blessed of the Lord. Oh, he's so. look at Jesus, his life. God must really love him. And then... Compare someone at the same time living who's got a barns full of wheat, grain, wine, cows, oxen, sheep, just doing good as wife, kids, the kids are obeying, everything's great, man. We say, okay, who is blessed of the Lord? Oh, that man. Who's cursed? This man we call Jesus. I've never seen a guy more cursed than that. Or we could do the same thing with Paul. Paul. But yet, that is totally a wrong conclusion. Jesus, Jesus brought the salvation of the world. Jesus was the most blessed son of all. Jesus got the, the, the nations as his, as his inheritance. Jesus freed humanity from sin and the grip of Satan. Jesus conquered death. Jesus saved the earth. Jesus is enthroned on high. Jesus, for eternity, possesses all things. Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus has the glory of God. The things seen are temporal. The things unseen are eternal. Yet the pro- a fundamental problem with all of us is living by the things that are seen, not by the things that are unseen. Living by the things that are temporal, not by the things that are eternal. We live so much for this life and so little for the life to come, we don't understand how messed up this is. And see, that is a fundamental issue in all discipleship, is like how the world works we got to know this and understand this and get it deep into our, our, our DNA and understand it because then also this cultivates faith. We can live and walk by faith, which is another issue that needs to be addressed. We need to know who our God is. So we know who our God is. We know who we are and what, we, what our issues are. and We know how the world works. We become mature disciples. And not only that, we also need to see someone live in it and walk in it as an example to model to us. When this is happening, you're creating mature disciples. And this is fundamental, fundamental and necessary in every one of our lives. So we really need, to, as God's people, one, we need to be discipled this way, and two, we need to disciple all those under us this way, because this is the only way to live in this world. Amen. Father, we're so thankful and grateful for For everything you've given us, we praise you that you, you are the one who sovereignly governs all things, your overall things, and that you love us. So thankful and grateful, Lord, that you love us and you work all things together for good for us. And Lord, you love us enough even to discipline us and to test us and to bring trials and sufferings to us, so that we would learn to trust you and hope in you and find you to be faithful and find you to be good and find you to be the God of heaven and earth who controls all things and works all things out for our good. We praise you, O Lord, for all that you do for us. And we ask that you would continually strengthen our faith and cause us to hope in you. Pray this in Jesus. Amen.